Well, along with Pastor Brett this morning, I welcome you to Rivermont and invite you to please open your Bibles or one of the few Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 3 to 9 and with focus on verses 3 to 5. Now, after listening to Rivermont Chimes, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, with a hymn that we sang and just hearing from our chapel choir, I know that the Advent season is upon us. And we begin a sermon series for the Advent season with four themes, hope, peace, joy, and love. Today we ponder living hope and great mercy. And please note the frame. Peter begins with praise of God for those who are suffering, grieved by various trials. He's addressing believers in the first century and also I think today in the 21st century. Embracing great truth about God and His great mercy that encourages our hearts to respond to trials with brokenness and yet also wonder, gladness, admiration, and praise. In our hearts, we proclaim the verses that are before us. So this is the reading of God's holy word, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, You believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father, we pray that according to Your great mercy, You would send the Holy Spirit to take the living Word before us and generate in our hearts Your new life and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. For your praise and glory. Amen. Now today, there are many here that long for a certain future, that's living hope, that search for joy inexpressible using language from verse 8 in our text, that desire inward and relational peace, that pray for consistent love. While we separate hope, joy, peace, and love as Advent themes over four Sundays, they come to us from God Himself, often as a unified whole, as we rest in Jesus Christ. Yet today in this room, there are probably at least three groups of people. And if you're like me, you have walked long enough with the Lord that you've probably been a part of all of these groups at various times in your life. Some of you hope for joy, for satisfaction, for fulfillment in the best things that life has to offer. And you have in some measure, found that joy, satisfaction, and contentment. 
Perhaps you have an excellent marriage, wonderful children, a great relationship with your parents. You've been relatively successful in your vocational pursuit. You are popular. People like you. First group. Secondly, though, there will be others of you who have been hard-pressed by the difficulties of this life. You have hoped that earthly things would bring your essential joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment in this life, and you have found it eluding you, or perhaps eluding you somewhat recently. It might be a marriage that is strained. It might be a vocational disappointment. It might be relationships with family or friends that have gone a little sour. You've been struck by the emptiness of this life and the things that you had hoped for and the certain joys that seem to be have taken from you. And then there's a third group. There will still yet be this group who has great joy in these things or perhaps even some strain. You appreciate marriage, husband, wife, children, parents, family, job, influence, blessings that come to us Often in this life, you appreciate these things as a gift of God, but you do not appreciate them as the best things in this life. But have instead set your hope on loftier things and places. Now, whatever group you may best identify this morning, Peter is addressing all of us focusing in verses 3 to 5. He longs for us to be a people in that third group with a living hope, a bubbling spring of certain assurance that supplies joy constantly to our hearts, even when things are difficult, so that there is joy, peace, and love. Now, a word about this hope in the New Testament. Hope is not a mere aspiration in the Bible. Now, that's how we often speak of hope. I hope for clear weather on my family vacation. Or I hope my investments for retirement will be sound. And yet we know that there's no certainty in those things. And yet it's what we often state is our hope. And yet from the Bible, when we think of Christian hope, living hope comes by God's mercy to those who are born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now that statement forms our outline in three, three parts. First of all, being born again to a living hope, we have living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now when Peter begins with these words, blessing be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy, he is reminding us that this living hope only comes to those who are born again and who experience the power of the resurrection in Jesus Christ. Now the good news is this. Salvation never comes from any merit or worth or from anything in us. In fact, it comes to us in spite of ourselves. We can't do anything to earn it. We can't do anything to predispose God to grant it. Mercy is His undeserved favor. You know, if our salvation depends on our own goodness, it's not really very secure, and it surely wouldn't give us much foundation for hope. To expect a heavenly eternal home because of our own goodness is to face the future with false hope, in fact. 
Yet if we let go of our supposed goodness and realize that we deserve God's wrath, we will appeal to Him according to His great mercy and the hope of salvation becomes secure. Whatever problems we face, we praise Him because our salvation comes from His great mercy, knowing that our salvation comes from His life-giving power. A power that has caused us to be born again. This reflects the words of Jesus to Nicodemus that unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's from John 3. Just as we were born physically, so we must also be born physically. Or spiritually, excuse me. And just as we had nothing to do with our physical birth, we didn't help the process, we didn't decide, I like to be born to these parents. So we cannot assist in our spiritual birth either. It must come from the life-giving power of God. And again, there is grace. If our salvation comes from our effort or will or performance, then it rests on shaky ground. But But if it comes from the sovereign will of God based upon His mighty power to bring us out of spiritual death into life, then it is, dear family of God, a sure thing. Now notice that our hope comes from this same power that we know is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now why does this matter? Well, in essence, because we were once a people dead in our trespasses and sin. Because Jesus lives, though, God gives new life to dead sinners. God has made us alive together with Christ and He has raised us up with Him. God creates such a wonderful union between a dead sinner and a living Savior so that life flows from the resurrected Jesus to the Christian causing a spiritual resurrection in our hearts. And because we are born again through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we enjoy new birth, God floods into our old spiritual dead lives the life of Christ Himself. So as Paul reminds us, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We also know from Paul in Ephesians, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even though we were dead in our trespasses, He has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and you have been raised up with Him. Unlike worldly hope that often fades and grows weaker over time, living hope grows stronger as the day of its realization draws near. Whatever trials we face, dear family, we can praise God because of a living hope that rests on the sure fact of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We praise God that because our salvation comes from God and not from ourselves or our efforts, we are able to obtain and keep it as a precious gift from Him. So in this first point, I simply want to ask, have you been born again? Have you been born again? Has God by the Holy Spirit mysteriously, supernaturally, maybe quietly, and yet really has He invaded your heart and made you a new creation? 
But let's continue from this wonderful question. Our living hope comes to those who are born again through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to an inheritance, point two, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Do you hear this second foundation of hope? We have a living hope because we have this unfading inheritance. In that life, you know, you can receive an inheritance and you can squander it away. In this life, an inheritance can sometimes divide a family. In this life, an inheritance can be invested wisely and still be lost in a day because of the market. In this life, an inheritance can grow and grow and yet, and yet not fully satisfy the human heart because that's not what an earthly inheritance is designed to do. But Peter says that in the resurrection of Christ, every believer has an inheritance that will not fade away, that will not be defiled, an inheritance that will never perish, given to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what a blessing this is. If we understand that as believers we have been given a new life, a resurrection life, in the life of Jesus Christ, our hope is focused on a new place. It's living. It's found in a new place. Purchased by His blood, Christ Himself is our inheritance. And Peter can only describe it by telling us some things that it is not. It is not perishable. It is not defiled. It is not fading. Now think about these three words. By being imperishable, our salvation is free from death and decay. Any human inheritance, as I have suggested, is subject to both death and decay. I may even die before I obtain what may be mine as a human inheritance. But our heavenly inheritance cannot be destroyed. It is imperishable. It's also undefiled, which means that it's free from moral impurity or uncleanliness of any kind. You know, earthly inheritance... It can taint and be tainted. It can cause greed in the human heart. But our heavenly inheritance is not that way. I can't take anything from your inheritance. You can't take anything from mine. God has plenty in store from us all. It is evenly divided in a glorious manner. Furthermore, our inheritance will not fade away. It is free from the ravages of time. Earthly inheritance, they can get used up as time goes on, but God's riches are inexhaustible. Nothing will ever diminish or destroy what God Himself has determined to give us in Jesus Christ, His Son. And if you begin to fear that somehow you will lose your eternal inheritance, here's the Gospel yet again. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you trust in Him, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have a hope that nobody can touch and no one can take away because it is unfading, imperishable, undefiled. No one can take it out of the Father's hand, which is held in on your behalf. So that leads us to this final point here. This wondrous inheritance... That is our living hope that blesses us with joy and peace and love. Is kept in heaven for you. 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Oh, did you hear the good news? It just, it's this echo. It just continues to, to, to bounce off the walls of our sanctuary. We are securely guarded by God's power through faith. And you know, here Peter is so realistic because he uses this term guarded as a military term, knowing that sometimes those who are born again were under enemy attack. Satan wants to keep us from gaining our inheritance. He wants to rob us of joy and peace and love. However, dear God, we praise Him. For we are surrounded by a garrison of troops conducting us in such a way that we will have safe passage to a place where our our eternal inheritance awaits us. It's no vulnerable earthly army. No, it's the very power of God. What could be more powerful than the power of, of the God who spoke the universe into existence just by His Word? We are guarded for our salvation. So when Peter says that our Salvation is ready to be revealed at the last time. He means that what we now only enjoy a small part of what God has laid in store for us, one day it will be so spectacular, that which we can't really fully understand today, it will be so grand beyond what we can ever even imagine if we simply trust in Him. The creative God who made such a complex universe that modern science cannot even begin to figure out in its totality can keep us creatively engaged throughout eternity. Hallelujah. Because He keeps us. Our salvation is ready to be revealed like a statue waiting to be unveiled. What determines though your future is seen in this phrase through faith We receive God's salvation and live the Christian life through faith in Jesus Christ who was crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. He was raised to life for our salvation. Now maybe you're thinking, oh, I only wish I could have that kind of faith, but I don't. But I want to say that you have plenty of faith. The problem may be that you're placing your faith in the wrong object. If it's not in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did for you on the cross. If your faith is not on Him, then it's in yourself or in some God, little g, of your own making. If your faith is in yourself and you're saying, I believe that I'm a good enough person to get to heaven by my own efforts. And I simply want to say to you, that's a faith. But it's based on an inadequate object and it will always result in hopelessness. We must cast ourselves completely on His mercy. We cannot do this in and of ourselves. He must impart saving faith to us, which humbles our pride. It gives all the glory to what God has done in Jesus Christ. Thus God has ordained that we receive His salvation by faith, not in ourselves, but in Christ alone. Now, in conclusion, listen to verse 3 one more time. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Peter is directing our hearts to the third group in which we appreciate the blessings and even anticipate the strains of life with hearts set on loftier things because of God's great mercy. And yet you don't put yourself into union with Christ. You can't generate new birth for yourself. We are dead in trespasses and sins. We are all flatlined by nature. There is no heartbeat, spiritually speaking, until God Himself causes the new birth to occur. So if today you don't know the crucified and risen Christ for yourself, The bad news is you cannot do anything to change your own condition. You are powerless. You must be born again. There is no hope without it. And so what must you do? You must call out and plead for the mercy of God. We need all of us to do that. That's the root of everything else. The reason for the resurrection, the cause of the new birth, the basis of new hope is the mercy of God, dear family. He abounds in mercy, ready to give it to all who ask Him. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Then from Ephesians, But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, He has made us alive together with Christ. It was mercy that sent Jesus to this earth for you. That's His advent. It was mercy that nailed Him to the tree and mercy that poured out heaven's fury on our guilt resting upon His shoulders there. It was mercy that rolled the stone away and gave new life to our Savior's body. And dear family, it is mercy that presides on the throne of glory so that dead sinners who flee to Him for mercy meet a ready answer and receive the mercy they need. Your living hope is based on this mercy of God alone. It is free. It is a gift. There is no quid pro quo. No this for that. No wages in return for something you have done. It's a gift. It's what the Lord offers to you this day as we begin with the anticipation of the Lord's coming this Advent. So would you come to Him this day? This morning and bow before the Father and cry out for mercy. There you will find a living hope, indestructible joy, everlasting peace, unconditional love. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise You that Jesus is alive and that His life flows to us as Your people by Your grace and faith in Him. Please keep us from putting our hope in the wrong place and help us to look to You for living hope through the new birth by the power of the resurrection to secure an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. And where our hope is, no one can touch. As we anticipate the coming of our Lord, help us believe and to realize how joy-giving and life-transforming that hope is. In Jesus' name, Amen.